0: Welcome to the Together PDX podcast. You're listening to our Gospel Gathering series, where we will be replaying valuable content from past events where local Portland leaders gathered to hear from authors, theologians, and scholars. We'd like to note that the views shared by our guests don't necessarily reflect those of the entire Together PDX team. We pray today's content enriches your day and spirit. Hey, everyone, I have a bonus episode for you today from the most recent gospel gathering with Dr. Felicia Wu-Song. We had a chance to do some Q&A time with Dr. Song while she was here, and that additional time with her was so good, we wanted to share it with you here. Without further ado, here's part three of Discipleship in a Digital Age, a question and answer time with Dr. Felicia Wu-Song.
1: As we close, we're just going to take a moment to do some Q&A. My name's John. This is my friend, Aline, and we serve together in Beaverton. Um, we've got some questions, and we'd love for you to have questions, too. So we have a roving uh, microphone out there with Elise. So um, as we ask our questions, be thinking of your own, and then we'd love for you to dive in to maybe pool some shared ignorance to get some shared wisdom from Dr. Song.
2: Yeah, Thank you so much for um, making your contact available. Um, I'm someone who thinks of questions five days after. So it's hilarious that I'm up here about to ask a question. And I'm also highly aware that I'm using my cell phone, but I need it. Um, earlier, you talked about um, that in this current social imaginary, it's abnormal to not be connected, right, via a digital device. Um, and I'm hoping this is helpful for parents, and this is from a personal ask, right? But I have a nearly 14-year-old, and not having a phone particularly is very abnormal. And it's becoming abnormal even for my 9-year-old, right? Um, you also talked about how in this social imaginary of the digital the digital is social and embedded. Like those two things are becoming one thing. And so um, with my my oldest son, we've had to just kind of grieve with him the discomfort of um, being that kid who doesn't know what his friends are doing. So only if when he's with them does he know what's happening, right? And they have to text me <laughs> to ask if they can go to the park and that sort of thing. So he's almost 14. I know that I have to at some point give him a phone probably, um, or he'll get it on his own eventually. Right. So is there, um, a pathway or even, um, just resources that you would recommend for parents figuring out how to navigate that tension? I know it's not good for him to, for me to give him this much access right now. Right. So is there something that you would recommend or? Yeah. Uh that's a small
3: question <laughs> uh that's gonna need a, a whole other day um, but um the short answer is I don't have a, a set a set thing um I'm someone who uh I was just telling someone earlier um i'm so I'm a parent who doesn't have answers I'm very much in the trenches, and there's a reason why the book is not a parenting book uh, <laughs> um And I think um, part of it is this. Um, All of our households are different. All of our children individually are different. And so I don't, I really don't think there is a one size fits all apart from super broad based, you know, principles of, of. Having intention about when you introduce a device into your child's life or having intention about how much screen time they are allowed, right? And those are all things that I know people think about and, and practice in different ways depending on their family. Um, I do think that the, the, what it sounds like, at least in, in the context that you described, what sounds really healthy is that you're, you're engaged in conversations, right? And that's just a general parenting thing, right? It's not just about technology, but it isn't a, I'm the parent, you're the child, you're going to, we're just going to inflict this upon you because it's good for you. It's, hey, let's talk. Yeah, I want to know what it's like for you when you're with your friends. Like, I want to know, and I want to wrestle with you about that because that really does stink, right? And it really does stink that we can't carry on friendships without these things, right? So how can we create um The place where I go is is always wondering what are the counter liturgies like what are the counter activities or ways of communicating that maybe we can partner up with one or two other kid family parent friends and say hey let 's try this for a little while um, and again, depending on um you know the work of the people, depending on how much buy in you can get with other parents right if there's ways to say, Hey, can we can we try this? Like we're really trying to commit to this. Um, it's super hard for us, right? Um, and those are vulnerable conversations. <laughs> and I know that um, this topic is is super difficult for parents. Um, but I, I do think that if we could find the alternatives and. Create the times when kids go to camp without the technology or go whatever and, and are like, this is awesome, right? They remember, they remember that they don't need it. Um, that we trust that that appetite, that seed is there and, and then we pray a lot. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I loved how you brought up monotasking as a way of stepping out of the story that we're telling ourselves that productivity and identity are all tied together. I was also deeply convicted when you said that crowds hurry and busy are worry, noise, you could have gone on forever, actually kind of defines Sunday morning for a lot of us. Are there any um, experiments we could try in our public church spaces to re-engage in a way that makes a sanctuary a sanctuary.
3: Oh, yeah. Really interesting. (sighs) My thoughts go to the Quakers. (laughs) Right. Um, And I, I, you know, it's, that's only half a joke. Um, That's just like a resource. It's an incredible resource, right? Their practices of, of silence is something I don't have a lot of experience with communally. And I'm curious, I'm very curious, like, how can, what can we learn if this is not part of our tradition? What can we learn from that community, that faith community? And maybe we can add pieces of that into whatever our usual programming routine is. Um, I just think, like... um, in my classes my classes are also characterized by hurried (laughs) crowds that you know i'm like i only have 65 minutes i gotta get through everything right um and uh there are two experiments well one isn't quite an experiment i tried an experiment in in my internet and society class that convinced me oh i need to find a way to do this in all of my classes so i about like Our semesters run about 15 weeks. At about week 10 is when you can see it in people's eyes. They're like, I'm freaking out. Um, So at week 10, we have a class where I say, and I live in Santa Barbara, so I know this might not be able to be practiced in Portland at week 10. Um, Go outside, find a patch of grass, a rock, whatever, right? Go outside. Here's your prompt, right? I actually give them the Richard Foster quote. And what? what is your hurry? Where is your crowd? You know, what... Even if you don't want to answer this, you have 15 minutes to go lie on the grass in the sun. Go. <laughs> right? Everyone leaves and they come back. Some are like crying. Some are just like, this was the best class ever. Not just because they didn't have to do school, but they're just like, I haven't stopped. I haven't stopped for the last three weeks. And you gave me space to stop. Um, I just think all everybody needs permission. And, and as institution builders or, or people that can make those decisions in the ways that we run things before meetings, before service, in the middle of things to just be like, we're just going to stop and let people breathe and debrief. So I've instituted a lot more like after we talk about something, here's a piece of paper, draw, write, Wh- whatever it is that you need to process. We're just going to take a few minutes instead of me just like jamming in with more. So we can we can think about that.
2: We'd love to open it up just to the audience. Just any questions that you may have, Elise? Yeah, awesome.
1: One of the things I was thinking about and and wondering and curious, there's a big move and a lot of words about like putting technology away and and practicing the disciplines of yeah of silence and solitude. Are there some discipline? Are there some counter liturgies, if you would, that embraces technology, but in a counter way.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know, in that direction certainly is because the focus is on the ways that technologies become secular liturgies, right. And can't carry out the social imaginary at the same time. Um, uh, so here's an example. Um, I think it's possible I think it requires a lot of intention and discipline <laughs> um, for many of us. Um, so I had mentioned Lexio Divina as a, a spiritual dif- discipline before. This was something that I didn't, I was not raised up with an awareness on and I've been learning. Um, but interestingly, I had a real, I, I had struggles with it. Um, I had struggles with knowing how to read the Bible. Uh, read passages without turning, but, and turning off my my kind of cognitive brain because I'm an academic, so I'm always like, oh, what's the historical context of it? <laughs> I wonder what the translation. Like, it's all just like this, right? And so it's very challenging for me to actually learn what Lexio is trying to invite people into, right? This kind of like spirit. Um, Response to the Word of God, and so I actually found um, a podcast. Uh, I was listening to the podcast already, but then the host started doing Lexio once a week. And I have found that audio, when, when someone is is reading the scripture, um, to me. It bypasses all of my like intellectual cognitive brain like versus when i 'm reading it in text right, and so i 've actually found the digital in that regard to be super helpful um, because I had my own kind of hang up in the kind of more conventional way and and so you know we 're all wired differently, and we all have our you know th- so there might be some kind of uh, digital tool that could be helpful. Um, and and even a a very traditional kind of spiritual discipline. I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but that's where my mind went.
2: Hey, so thank you so much for your presentation. I'm on my computer, just so you know. I'll let everybody know.
3: (laughs) No (laughs) shame, no shame.
2: (laughs) So I'm a professor actually at George Fox University, too, King California. So loved your presentation. And if I can just clarify, so you're not saying that you think technology is bad necessarily, but that we need to be intentional. Yeah and control it and um, versus it controlling us and to create spaces to be technology-free. But you're not saying that, that you are, like, against technology. I'm just to yeah, clarify.
3: Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. So? I am for um, a... So pick your language. I think uh, I like to think in terms of freedom. I want to have a relationship with my technology that is characterized by freedom. I do not want to feel enslaved by my devices or my practices, right? Um, other people might feel uh, like it might make more sense to you if I say, I want to have a rightly ordered relationship with my technology, right? Um, if that language makes sense to you. So to me, it is like um, our relationship with food. Food is something that is essential to our bodies, but we can have a very disordered relationship with it. Right. Um, similar to our technology, for most of us, it is a essential part of our livelihoods, of the ways that we manage our relationships. But we can end up with very disordered ways of using them. Um, so, how then? My question is: How do we restore order, or or learn order? Maybe is the better word. Um, or, or gain freedom. I happen to experience technology in a way where the freedom picture makes more sense to me because I feel like there's a tyrant behind me that's just like whipping me all the time. That's just how it feels to me. I know for other people, it, the order language might make more sense.
4: First of all, just a comment for you. I can't remember your name. You, yes. Um, but you were talking about kids and phones and the struggle. And I'll tell you, as a parent who's just ahead of you with a 16-year-old girl and a 19-year-old girl, we did not allow them to have devices. Our oldest daughter at 19 who attends George Fox. Yeah, she she yeah ruins. Um, she uh, just got a phone for the first time last year, and our youngest at 16 still does not have one. And wouldn't have known it when we made the decision, best decision we ever made has been super helpful. It's a gift to them, even though they didn't know it. And my question to you is, when it comes to technology, it's rose up so quickly that we haven't had time to catch up to it with in terms of creating responsible use for stuff. And I think of, like, the automobile came along at such a slow rate. We now have driver's manuals that weren't just created overnight, but our kids actually have to go through those and take a test before they're allowed to use this dangerous tool we don't have that for technology. Have you come across in your study and your research, or have you come up with like a set of guidelines that are like, here's some responsible ways, some guardrails to use technology?
3: No. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the rate of change is outstripping our capacity to ad- adapt and set up parameters for sure and that's what's creating so much chaos um individually all the way out to the macro level societal level um i think this is why and and this comes out of my own you know i have a I have an occupational hazard. I study digital technologies, right? So anytime I write anything, it's already obsolete, right? It was, like, done two years ago, right? Like, I am not on the AI train because I've been doing this other thing, right? Um, And so, um, and by the time I write about AI, we'll be on to the next thing. So I, out of that reality for me, I've become convicted that as church, um, we should be less... Um, focus on finding specific interventions for specific technologies and platforms. What we need to be doing, and not just church, I think schools and every institution, organization, what we need to be focusing in on is what kind of people do we want to be? Who do we think human being, what do we think being human actually is, right? Get that down, Um, so that when we encounter whatever the next new thing is, we can try to troubleshoot, we can try to adapt and try to set up parameters and guidelines as best as we can, right? Obviously, we have to do those things within our organizational, institutional structures. But that's always going to be rooted in what you think is essential, right? Whether it's relationship, whether it's bodies, whether it's right. where do you find your worth, all that kind of stuff. That's got to be locked down. So that when the next thing comes, you, you have your, your, your ruler, you have your measuring stick. Right now, I feel like we don't have a measuring stick. We don't know what our faith tradition or what, you know, our denomination, like what is it in our church communities? What's our ecclesiology? What's our, right? Like what is it that we're, what, that we're committed to? And then whatever the, the, the technology is, okay, well, how does that, how does that, you know, measure up? to what it is that we're committed to.
1: Um, I, I think that uh, uh, my congregation, like many of the congregations here, um, are getting older and and uh, folks are leaving. And I, I'm 80 years old now and I have a lot of friends and they don't know how to use technology. And I think that's true for a lot of older folks in most of our congregations. Are you aware of any place where that... Uh, the lack of knowledge by older folks has been helped by by kids teaching older folks how to use technology, and and thereby having a, a relationship old with young, young with old. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just seems to me there's an opportunity there for kids to teach the old folks how to use these tools appropriately. And
3: yeah, no, I, I I don't know of any particular studies, but I have read about instances. Um, in communities where they've tried to bring people together, or I've read about how in some family, you know, intergenerational family dynamics, that that can be a, a key part of, of the relationship, um, there. But that's certainly an, a very interesting idea. Um, and it also, to me, it, it can also start to tap into the reality that loneliness Is, is becoming, right, a documented problem, uh, that people are recognizing more amongst the elderly, um, and that, and noting the ways that technology plays a part in that experience of loneliness and isolation. So yeah, that's super, that could be something that's super interesting. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Related to your productivity conversation, I'm curious. I would love to know your difference between the definition of time management and time stewardship. Time is anything is something that, like you said, are moving through, but like anything we're given in life, we're called to steward it well. And for those of us like myself, of have a very strong wing three, I want to maximize the potential of every moment, especially as an admin. What does it look like to be able to not be hampered by managing time, but able to more focus in on the stewardship of time?
3: Yeah. um, That's a nuance. I think that is, that collapses very easily. (laughs) Unfortunately, Um, what I've found more generative is the possibility of not thinking in terms of time, actually, because if I don't, if I'm not convinced that I own time, right, that it's something I have um, to steward in the first place, right? Like that's a whole like conceptual category of, of how we think about time. Sorry, I don't need to go get too like metaphysical, right? But, What if we started thinking about not stewarding time, but stewarding attention? So, and I talk about this in the book, right? That what we do have control over is what I attend to. That is something I do have control over. And when I start thinking about stewarding attention, then that actually raises... Interesting questions about, well, what is most important to me? What, right? And in terms of the productivity side of things, shall we say, like, what do I need to get done? What are my responsibilities? But also, um, maybe I need to attend to my body and the rest that I need. And right. Those are, those are things that I just know have to happen. So then I can figure out how to steward, right? Um, the thing that I do have control over, and then that translates into how I go about living into my time or into time. Mm -hmm. It's
1: interesting. I I heard that tension when you said it's something we exist in and enjoy. Yeah. That when we get that time back, it's something to exist in as a gift and it's something to enjoy as a gift. And so it was latent in your statement, but it was very pregnant with meaning. And I love that you dove in and basically unpacked that a little bit more for us. There's a tension to exist and enjoy, and it's really, really, um, that's that's a unique challenge I'll leave with today. Are there any other any other questions? Hi, uh just a real quick one, maybe. Um, I'm a kids pastor, and we've worked really hard to get videos out of our classrooms. And there's been some pushback, and I think some of it is what felt obvious to me, the convenience factor. Like, it's just easier to show a video. The next layer of feedback was the competence level, that these videos that we can show are by people who are professional, multi-takes, uh it's their whole life to dedicate to this one teaching. And it's like, why can't compete with that? How do we steward technology in worship places in a way that highlights the importance of proximity and relationship over perfectionism and competency?
3: Yeah, that's not a short one. (laughs) No, that's, that's a pickle. Um, it feels like a that to me is like a deeply rooted right question about um what we think church is and and who we think we are you know like wh- what do we think we're doing here so if what we're doing here is like um I'm doing this action is, is shoveling like insight into our children and into our adults and into different groups. Then you need the perfection is, you know, you need the high production. You need all of that, right? Because our appetites for that have been ratcheted up by all the, you know, accessibility to very high quality teaching and, right? Um, but, at the same time, right, all the warts and awkwardness and imperfections of our of our actual people in our community right just stands out all the more, but it 's like but this is the people of God that God has called us to serve, right like how do we be a community? To each other, And so maybe it's not about the insight, but it is about something that happens when we are together in relationship intergenerationally, right? In ways that are, are quite radically different from the models that we see in our society. Um, I know when I'm talking, like, I feel like I'm talking about something that is completely pie in the sky <laughs> right now compared to the realities that you all must face, um, day to day. Um, but it just feels like the, your, the heart of your question is, 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 um, revealing, right? Like the core issue, right? The core issue is not about technology actually. Right. (laughs) Right. It's about, it's who, what are we, what are we really doing here? Um, that, that moves beyond just sort of, um, standard conventional practices that I see every other church doing, right? Um, and that's hard work, and I don't know enough about what you all do to know exactly, you know, what does it take to get there, but maybe it is conversations um, during coffee or conversations during retreat or something where you have protected time to to say, hey, we're just going to talk about this. It doesn't mean we're going to, like, start making all these changes, but we need. this is something that maybe we need to just start exploring together.
1: Um, we're just trying to grapple with the digital technology now, but uh, things are going to get worse with uh, productivity, particularly with AI and, you know, the thousand folds. So I'd be curious to hear your views on that.
3: Uh, Like I said earlier, I don't have a lot of thoughts on AI. Um, The only thoughts I really have, because I'm always interested in the things that people aren't talking about, um, is I'm really interested in how AI is premised on information that's highly flawed. Um, So, for example... um, uh, it's easy for us as users of AI to just think, oh, it's just kind of neutrally gathering information out there and wrapping it up in a package and sending it back out. I'm thinking of, like, GBT type AI. Um, and, and sh- yes, of course, uh, that is what it's doing. But I think we forget that um what AI is doing, it's just a mirror. It's just mirroring what's in the Internet. Right, which is is not neutral, which is not objective, which is not anything. Right, it's just a mirror. I mean, we are literally just getting a mirror of what lots of people have said, or uh, or published. Um, and then you have to remember that there's the the people that build the algorithms, right? They also are not objective neutral people, right? They, they are a very particular demographic that has, you know, like, and so, so I think you see it play out in its worst forms in the ways that facial recognition technologies get used when they're employing AI. You see it in law enforcement contexts, security contexts where, um, my personal opinion is that it's, it's been rolled out way too fast because it's a very flawed, Program right now, um, or the technology is very flawed. It, it, it is mistaking, um, uh, particularly BIPOC faces, um, you know, non white and also non male faces. There's always, there's so many flaws and mistakes that are happening. Um, and that comes out of the research. And, you know, it's because it's been primarily a white male generated technology that is part of. Right, the tech world. So all that to say, that's a sociologist kind of concern, which is always, wait, who's building it? Um, what's behind the algorithm? Where are you actually getting your data? Um, how are we um, being wise about the ways that we rely um, on these technologies? So I'm, I'm kind of interested in those things. I don't know how that interfaces with our church communities exactly, um, but I think. Yeah, I think for the time being, I, I I'm much more concerned with the question of um, can we can we try to figure out or commit ourselves to what is being human, or in the educational context, what are what do we think education is, right? Um, what are we trying to do here, um, and let those questions lead us to the possible um, responses that we have. We don't want to end on AI. <laughs> I think it's so
4: sad. I've seen
1: a lot of Terminator movies. I think it always <laughs> ends on AI.
4: So I heard the, why, the word wise come up. And so I'd be curious a little bit from your perspective as a sociologist, kind of how this conversation of appropriating digital tools in church and faith and life, um, what, what can we learn from the Amish community? Have you done any kind of deep dives into Amish community and how they have taken different technologies over the decades and centuries and then appropriated them? Anything that they would have to say for us? I know you're not Amish, obviously, but have you done any studies on them and what would they have to say to this?
3: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's good. I, I don't have a lot of background, um, personally or research wise with the Amish, um, I think any communities that has has made a a decision to have a very particular um resistance to technology um is um you know I'm thinking about even like the the famous luddites right um what I always appreciate about them is that um at least in theory right it's not just a um all, um and negative it's it's an attempt to uphold or cultivate a vision of what life is right um and so i think it's just so easy to see communities like that as just sort of you know throwing um the baby out you know with the bathwater type actions um and we forget that their convictions are rooted in a vision and so I always, um, that's why I, I think I'm so adamant about encouraging people, families, church communities, institutions, like the way, the only way you answer your, these tech questions is you need to know what your vision is, right? And, and the visions might be different for different reasons, but once you know what your vision is and everyone agrees at least on that, then we can have a starting point for saying, okay, then this, then this, then this, then this. Right, And not just in a kind of like performative strategic planning way, right, um, but like really, what's the heart of the vision of what we're trying to do here? Yeah:
1: Well, I think we'll wrap it with that. Would you please th- join me in thanking Dr. Song for? Thank you.
0: Thanks again for listening. And don't forget that we do these gatherings live in the Portland metro area regularly. So check out togetherpdx.org slash events to see
4: who's coming next. Thanks for listening to the Together PDX podcast.